Welcome to Text Enough Already, where we only talk about exciting topics like high finance, economics, and taxation. I'm your host, Dan Newash, and today we're talking with my good friend and colleague, Tom Baccarat, about the exciting topic of captive insurance. Well, thank you, Dan. Hey, thank you for being here. Yeah. Anytime I have an opportunity to talk about this subject, I will. Yeah. <laughs> so, before we jump into the exhilarating topic of captive insurance, Tell us your story. In regards to RMC or mine? In regards to you. We want to know about you, Tom. Well, <laughs> okay. I'm a former um, University of Delaware track person. Flew in the Air Force for a little bit. And then have spent the last 30 plus years learning about insurance and high finance and efficient ways to work with small to medium-sized business owners which has brought us to captive fantastic um, so at a high level what is captive insurance captive on a high level is a way of recapturing premiums that you're otherwise spending in a, as a business owner for insurance or risk related um, items such as most notably your general liability or your property and casualty insurances but you can also use because it's a risk item and a premium item your health insurance as well inside of a captive so it's ways of being able to say instead of just allowing the insurance companies to be profitable with insurance you should be allowed to recoup some of your premiums that you're putting in there and invest the premium so that you have those just like the big boys, the insurance companies, the Hartfords, the Travelers, Progressive over at Flow, you should be able to uh, enjoy some of that money. So it sounds like insurance might be a profitable business. Well, <laughs> have you ever looked around and seen large buildings built? Uh, insurance companies, it's an extremely profitable business um, that not only they make money off of the premiums, but also from the investments that they that they make and so I guess it's it's turning to that advisor or that decision maker or that stakeholder of, an, of their own company and say if I could give you two different options option a is you're doing exactly what you've done your entire life your entire business life if you have good claims experience the insurance company um, gets to keep the predominance of your premiums as an example, let's just say that we've got a good-sized company. Let's just say a trucking company that's making $25 million in revenue. They're probably paying somewhere in the neighborhood of a million to a million and a half dollars just on their property and casualty liability coverages for their auto, for their truckers and coverage, for their cyber coverage, those type of things that they need for that business. And the question is, last year you had great claims experience. Who keeps the money? Well, the insurance company. And so the question is, if you had a choice between either just having pure risk, which is the possibility of a loss or no loss at all, would you want that option or would you want an option that also offered a potential for gain? And that's what a captive will do. It offers you the potential for gain by creating a separate entity, a separate C corporation that is actually a living, breathing insurance company like every other insurance company out there, 
but you get to retain the profits. And by retaining that profits, you get to then subsequently invest it, just like a general account in an insurance company. Because it is a general account in an insurance company. It's just that now you get to see it, you get to profit off of it. And so if you knew next year that you were going to have a better eye on claims experience and were willing to watch that, would you then want to enjoy the underwriting profit that an insurance company usually does? The answer is most of the time, yes. So that's, that's who we're looking for. That's our target market. Okay. Well, so you're Air Force and I'm a Marine. So explain it to me like I'm five. I have car insurance. How would you explain it to me in this aspect? All right. So very easily, I already started to talk to you a little bit about the uh, property and casualty. But let's just say that that was only one facet of what you want to do. And let's say you wanted to have health insurance. Let's use the health insurance as an example. I'm going to say that in today's environment, if you've got 50 employees, the average cost for the business, even though there's families and there's singles and there's family plus one type of thing, usually costs about $1,000 per employee per month. So if we use the example that we just talked about, that's 50 employees, that's $50,000 a month. That's $600,000 a year you're spending on your health insurance. But last year, your claims were only 300,000. Who keeps the money? Who keeps I the do. money, Marie? <laughs> no, the insurance company does. Oh. You paid the premium, they didn't pay for all the claims, and there's profit left over. It's usually left with the insurance company. Why wouldn't you want to keep that? Why shouldn't that money go back to you into your coffers in working with your advisors, be able to take that 300000 and let that grow over time? Because that's 300000 this year. But let's say you do that year after year after year. You're going to grow a pretty good um, account size in there over time. It's not uncommon after five, six, seven, ten years to see... Eight, ten, twelve million dollars worth of assets sitting there growing, earning interest. In a captive, most of the time when you hear of growing interest, I'm actually making money, what does the government do? They tax it so that you can only get so much money. In a captive, because it's considered a small insurance company, you can choose an election called an 831B election. And what that allows you to do as an owner of this insurance company, as the owner of what is now a C corporation, you change the tax advantage. You actually become a, get a, uh, a tax arbitrage. Because most of the time, when your company, company A, has to pay insurance premiums to another insurance, or to an insurance company, that company, company A, gets to take a tax deduction for that premium. We still get to do that, but now you own company C, that C corporation. When that money comes in in the form of premiums, it's usually taxed, right? Yeah. Because revenue is taxed. In this case, under 831B of the IRS code, you can use up to $2.4 million flowing from A to B and get a tax advantage. The tax advantage is this. You're not taxed on that 2.4 million. You're only taxed on the growth of that 2.4 million. Let's make it easier for you. Well, you have to, right? Well, I understand. <laughs> you're, you're eating crayons. There's a certain amount that, that we're going to have to make sure that it's okay. But let's use a million dollars. Usually that million dollars that would go into that new C corporation is taxed as a C corporation. 21% on a federal basis. 
So that means if we don't include the state taxes or the county taxes or whatever, of that million dollars, simply by paying that to the C corporation, that C corporation is going to have a $210,000 tax bite. By choosing 831B, you're only taxed on the growth. So that's take that same million dollars, and now we get a 5% return. So that means it's $50,000. Would you rather be taxed on the million or the 50000 The captive is going to allow you to get that tax arbitrage and only be taxed on the, uh, on the 50000 So your tax bite goes from 210000 down to about 11000 So you get a good tax advantage. And you get to keep the money as the business owner. Imagine being able to make money off of your premiums. It changes the whole equation from being a ledger item to now being an, a an, an asset item. Why wouldn't you want that? Well, it's not easy. You've got to culturally change the way that buyers of insurance start thinking about their insurance. If you're having them ask to take responsibility for that, it's going to be a little bit more work. Not a lot, because that's what you pay people like me and RMC for, where we do the administration and the running of the company. But you're going to be asked to make decisions. So you're also going to know what's going on, which gives you not, not only greater control, but greater flexibility. Have you ever heard of someone having to pay out on a slip and fall because somebody walked in and they just made something up? What do your insurance companies do as your cover? Oh yeah, okay, we're just going to write the check. They kind of cave. Well, with a captive, you own it, so you also get to see a lot of those things, but you also sit on the claims committee. So you get to decide what you want to fight. What's a legitimate claim? If you know that person just came in and fell over, no, don't ask the, ask the insurance company, ask yourself, ask your representatives to fight that because you know it's not right. So it gives you greater control. And if you've got greater control and, you're, and you've got more of an eye toward taking care of those claims, guess what happens to your premiums? They start to come down because you're more responsible. So if I'm following this, myself, I own my business and I'm paying, let's say, a million dollars a year in insurance premiums. But over the past five years, I've paid five million dollars in insurance premiums. But my claims for that five years were, say, $500,000. Right. Essentially, I've given the insurance company a $4.5 million profit. But with captive insurance, I could retain a portion, a very significant portion of that million dollars a year, and then get a tax deduction for it, and then invest it as an insurance company would. Right, and because it's still inside of this C corporation, you're not paying uh, the, uh, all the capital gains as you go along. So it's still uh, it's still somewhat sheltered. So there's advantages for you to be able to use that later on, for whatever those purposes are. But remember, that money is building up in there as reserves against future claims. We actually like to see a few claims. We're not saying we want you to buy this because we want to pay out claims, but claims are very natural, and they're very, a very natural part of the process. That's Whatever claims you're paying out, obviously, is going to, because that money isn't there, is going to retard your growth. But even with the slower growth pattern, what's the growth pattern on $3 million versus $5 million versus having no money invested at all? 
Sounds it's, like it's, the growth's better than zero. Right. <laughs> Given the two choices of money, most people are going to take the larger yeah. pile. Or really, the growth's better than the expense, because I'm right. just paying an expense to the insurance company. But in this aspect, I'm turning an expense into an asset. Exactly. Why, why not, if you're going to have to pay for it, why not make it a profit center? So, we're talking about a huge amount of premiums, large, huge, big numbers of employees. At what point, or is there a rule of thumb or guideline that it might make sense for companies to start reviewing if captive insurance would be a good option for them? There's a couple different ways. If, you, if your revenue is above 8 to $10 million, if you've got 25 to 30 employees, or if you're paying more than $250,000 for um, property and casualty insurance, or you've got more than 25 or 30 employees in the health insurance, it may be time to look at other options. Um, and again, it's just because what do you, where do you want those valuable revenue dollars to go? Back to the government, or do you want to be able to hold them to yourself? Or even worse than back to the government, it's back to the insurance companies because they're just meant for profit. So this seems like something almost sounds too good to be true. Is that because captive insurance is a new concept or why isn't this more widely known? Well, first of all, it's not too good to be true. It's too good to be free. There is some administrative cost to this. That's why you've got to make sure that you're hitting certain levels. And we usually do a comprehensive review up front to be able to figure out whether this is going to make sense. And that's a free comprehensive review because it doesn't make sense to any of us to devote time to actually end up having to say no when it's, when it's not going to work for a client. You know, who is the best person? Again, it's anybody that wants to see that profit, wants to turn that into, um, into a profit center or is looking for a more, uh, a more effective and more appropriate way to be more efficient with the way that they're currently running their risk profiles. Because there's ways that we design this because this is not an off-the-shelf type of thing. You've got to actually have a cultural change to be able to figure out how to manage this, how to work with somebody. Everything should be seamless and it should flow exactly like a regular insurance company because it is an insurance company. It's just that they, they now sit on a different side. Now, there's pro you probably get some pushback in your business about compliance and the ability to actually do this. Are there concerns with that? Is this a compliant issue? Or what could you tell people to alleviate any of those concerns? Well, I think any time that you deal with the IRS, you, you always run the possibility of having a, an audit. Whether there's a legitimate reason or not, sometimes the IRS just decides, okay, we're going to audit. And so that happens. I mean, it's, it's something that if you're in this business long enough, you're going to come across. You're not really, I hate to say you're never really concerned about an audit if you're doing something wrong, but you're always concerned about an audit, right? This isn't necessarily something that's going to cause an audit, but I will say that there is a right way to do things, and then there's every other way to do things. And while there are times when as a wholesaler or a purveyor of this, people will say, well, why are you asking so much information? Well, I'm trying to protect you from those things that lurk in the dark places at the IRS. It, the more information I have, the better I can impart that information to regulators and the IRS. Because we've got two masters here. We've got the IRS, of course, but there's also 
insurance state regulators. Insurance is regulated on a state-by-state -state basis. It's not a national. And so regulators play a very important part on this. It's making sure that you've asked all of those questions so that you're documenting exactly why you're doing this. You know, it's not appropriate to set something up that is not insurable or is purely being set up for a tax dodge. There are great tax advantages. There are great tax leverages. But the reason you do this mostly for a set up an insurance company is to identify a risk and then cover that risk. The other ancillary items should be just that, ancillary items. I want to do this because I want to accept risk. I want to manage the risk because that's ultimately going to drive costs and expenses down. Captive insurance is not a new concept, right? It's been around. It's been in Europe for 300 years. Um, it's been nationally since, I guess the, the, we can trace the genesis of uh, domestic captives to in, I think it was the 1830s in New England, there were companies that were having trouble buying fire and um, water damage. And so the companies actually had to say, okay, what can we do about it? Insurance companies as a, as a whole didn't step up, so somebody bright said, well, why don't we create our own insurance company? And so, yeah, I mean, you can date that back to the 1830s. Domestically, there were about 6,000 captives up until the dawn of the 21st century. And then since then, they've probably grown to 10,000. The reason being is people are starting to see that it's a lot more efficient to be able to enjoy the underwriting profits that the insurance company have had. So, yeah, there's, there's the administration of it. It's not new, again, you can go offshore, and they've been doing it under British common law for a couple centuries. Here, in the United States, we currently have, I believe, 38 states that have captive um, legislation. Doesn't mean all 38 are great at it, because just because you have a regulation just means that you can do it. There are certain states that are better than others, and that we can help guide you through that, because there's a, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, either by the statutory requirements, the size of the company, the setups of the company or how many there are or the types of coverages is going to dictate what type of captive that we're going to do and that may be better offshore and maybe better onshore some people don't want to go offshore just because they don't like the connotations although I think we're pretty typical in the sense that as an administrator 98% of what we do happens absolutely domestically you just have a seat on in Nevis or St. Lucia or Bermuda or the Bahamas wherever you go um, to be able to do that just from a regulatory standpoint because they're a little bit more, they're less expensive and uh, they're just, they're a little bit more flexible. How much of the private insurance market utilizes captives? Well, see, that's the really crazy part because I hear that all the time. I haven't heard about this, right? So if you look at the insurance market, um, if you look at the standard, uh, the uh, Fortune 500 companies, they're the 800-pound gorilla in the, in the insurance market. Since 98% of the Fortune 500 companies have a form of captive, there's a large part of this. And the reality is less than 50% of the premium that is re received on a daily basis actually goes directly to the insurance market. But 51% goes to the captive market. So what do the Fortune 500 and these other companies know that smaller companies don't know about captive. It's an incredibly effective, efficient way to set up a profit center for yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that we're getting rid of the traditional market, 
because a lot of those um, coverages should still be housed in that market. I give the example of, I don't want to insure a taxi cab driving company for their auto insurance. It's not a question of if you're going to have claims, it's how many claims you're going to have. And so it's not as effective. You may want to keep that still in the traditional market, but be able to move that insurance around so that you've got higher deductibles or lower limits so that you're making that cost of the insurance as effective as possible. What type of organizations can use captive insurance? I don't know that there's an organization that can't use a captive. It really comes down to size and scope and complexity. Um, anybody that has liability, anybody that has a contract with either a vendor or maybe a government contract. Are you insuring that contract? Because if you lost that contract, would that have a negative effect on your current revenue? You know, there's things like legislative change that we can look at. You know, we most recently saw with the pandemic were entire swaths of our economy shut down because of something other than fire, theft, wind damage. Yeah, there's a huge business interruption because the government came in and said, no, you're not going to work today. That's an insurable interest that usually isn't included in business interruption. But it should be now because we don't know when the next one's going to happen. Is it going to be monkeypox? I don't know. None of us know. But it could happen. Do you want to be protected against that? Do you want to make sure that certain things that change your practice are covered? Do you have a legal expense fund? Do you have a reputa uh, reputational expense fund? So we've talked about some of the great benefits of captive insurance, but once somebody has that captive in place, what can they do with those funds other than invest them? Is there something else they can do with them? Well, I mean, you can invest them. You, you, those are funds, depending on what type of captive that you're in, because you have smaller versions that are called cell captives that are a little bit more restrictive. Um, but in a single parent captive, those funds you could take out as, you know, W2, you can take them out as a dividend. You want to kind of leave them there because they're future, they're to be there for future losses. And there are regulations, because this is an insurance company, you have both the IRS and you have regulators, but you have to maintain at least, in most jurisdictions, anywhere from 20 to 40% of one year's premium in cash or cash equivalents. You are limited to some extent, but yeah, I mean, I've seen people <clears throat> need to actually take a down payment because they wanted to actually buy the building that they were in, take some of the funds out of there, that were considered pledged against accounts receivable. And because now that money is being taken out as accounts receivable, it's, it's now owned by the captive as an asset. So you've increased that, but now the asset has given money back to that parent company for the down payment someplace else. So you can pledge capital, you can pledge other things. You can, like I said, use accounts receivable to help secure other other ways of financing at a discounted rate. Because right now, and we're going to see this as the recession kicks in, if it actually kicks in, but as interest rates go up, would you rather borrow money at 3%, which, and the IRS tells you what the interest rates that you can charge are, or would you rather charge it at 11%, which may be, so it may be another 
financing source above and beyond. This is, remember, you're not buying insurance, you're buying, you're creating an insurance company. So it's a living, breathing item that has a lot more flexibility in it and can change from year to year or month to month if need be. We just had a very astute individual speak to some CPAs about the inflationary market and how that's going to affect a lot of businesses and individuals. What type of benefits in an inflationary market could a business take advantage of with captive insurance? Well, there's, a, there's a couple that I can think of. Remember, you're retaining premium. So if you're retaining premium, you're getting to invest the premium. Even if you put it in a fixed interest bucket, that's monies on monies that you already thought was spent that you're now using as a, um, you know, an opportunity. It opens up a whole different opportunity zone for that premium, that investment of premium. High inflation leads to high interest rates. So it sounds like what you're saying is you could take advantage of some of these higher interest rates or avoid them. Right. And the avoidance is insurance companies are going to be charging more. We are in a generational um, hard market. We just really haven't seen them. Seen, seen this level in the, in the past couple of years. And so because of that, you're seeing anywhere from 10 to 40 percent increases on renewals. Well, if you're doing this appropriately, not only are we going to drive down the initial cost of the insurance, we may design it so that we've actually reduced the overall cost and now you're able to keep up with inflation. You might even reduce some of the costs because typically those people that are involved with the retention of their premiums because of captive are also better at claims expense. If you want, there's an old axiom, if you want somebody to reduce the cost of their insurance, have them share in the insurance claims. You're gonna, you're gonna watch it a little bit more if you're doing that. And so that's gonna help, it's gonna help not only today with cash flow, but also for those renewals later on. We covered the compliance because the IRS and all their and all their infinite wisdom has a specific standard to us that we're held to. Is there an instance in which the IRS has maybe made a mistake when it comes to captive insurance? Um, because this is being recorded and because the IRS is always watching, Yes, they have. There have been times when they have just made decisions that you kind of make your head go, what? But most notably, there was a circumstance where um, the IRS came in and started saying no to captives that had, years ago, that had pandemic coverage. Because why would you cover something that can happen in a pandemic? It's so rare, it'll never happen. Those I believe have been overturned for the most part because obviously the pandemic happens. Obviously. We, we've seen it. it. <laughs> and, and so those coverages now probably were, were, for those people that had it, were very pleased that they had it. I bet. <laughs> right? So is there any specific reason why somebody wouldn't do captive insurance or wouldn't utilize captive insurance? There's there's a couple different reasons. It's too small, it's too complex, their advisors haven't heard of it. They don't want to be audited. It's It always amazes me after 36 years in this industry and a couple designations that how much on a daily basis I am humbled by the fact that I don't know. And 
it's amazing that clients that aren't doing this on a daily basis will actually make the statement, well, I wasn't aware of it. Well, okay. You know what? There's a really good chance I'm not aware of the best arterial mesh right now to use in heart surgery. Doesn't mean that it's not the best and it shouldn't be used. It may need a little research. So I would say do the research, look into it, um, because those concerns are usually weighed against things that are being done in a haphazard or cowboy manner. The reality is what I do, what we do, is very complex. I'm going to ask a, have to ask a lot of intruding questions, um, but that investment in time is going to save us later on. The other thing is the reality is some, it's not built for everyone. This is for that person that wants greater control, greater understanding, and greater reduction in cost. The reality is many business owners are going to say, I don't want to run another insurance company. Even though it's not going to be a lot of work and hassle, I just, I, I like it the way that it is. Some people just like comfort. This is not a comfortable circumstance. This is something that is going to ask you to be involved, and because of that, you're going to profit from something that always was a cost item. So it's a cultural change that a business and business owner have to go through because you're going from buying insurance and knowing, okay, I pay my premium and it goes out and hopefully they cover me, to now knowing what goes on. And what is it? With greater understanding comes greater responsibility. Now you have a greater understanding. You have a greater potential for return on that money you're going to have greater responsibility. So people just may want to not want that, or it may be too complex for them. So you're saying with great responsibility comes great power. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to talk to us about the always exciting topic of captive insurance. Is there anything else that you want to add? Yeah, I don't think it's... The topic isn't captive insurance. That is a vehicle to get us there. What you really should be looking at, what business owners should be looking at, not only because of the, the inflationary times that we're going into, but what you don't know does cost you. And so if nothing else, ask Dan, ask myself to do the free comprehensive return or, or comprehensive risk review because it's an incredibly valuable resource that isn't costing you anything. And you'd be surprised how many times I come up with stuff that people aren't aware that they either don't have or should have because somebody's really comfortable just saying, hey, I like that renewal, so we're just going to do this every year. The crazy thing is, is that there's a lot of games playing that goes on in this. The reason your advisor doesn't show you your renewals until two weeks before you have to make a decision, which really legitimately isn't enough time, is because if they do that, they can block anybody else from coming into the market and showing you a competitive bid. Is that the best way to do it? No, in, in my world, a competitive environment allows you to see the information. We can help, we've been doing this long enough. Awesome, well, there you have it folks, the exciting topic of captive insurance with our bestowed guest, Tom Baccarat. As always, any like, share, or comment is always greatly appreciated and it's always a great way to support a veteran-owned and operated business.
Finance for Thought and RMC Group are independent of American portfolios. Any view and or opinions expressed by speakers are not representative of said companies. This presentation and all material within it are for informational purposes only and does not provide tax, legal, accounting, or financial advice. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated. Member, FINRA SIPC. Investment Advisory Services offered through American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor.